Welcome, everybody, to your all-time favorite podcast in the world, except for my new podcast, which is also your favorite, double favorite, uh, and, and arguably what has been said the most useful podcast in the world, which I like, I agree with. Uh, Persuasion School, my name is Jake Savage. This is your first time here. I'm grateful to have you with us. Quick snapshot on me. You can also read it on the bio of whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast on. I'm a former door-to-door salesman. I knocked on almost 100,000 doors over the course of several years before um, helping to build a national sales team with some other amazing people. My job there was to build and train a team uh, and lead that team. And while I was president, we hit some fun milestones like the Inks list of the 500 fastest growing companies in the nation two years in a row. We were an outsourced sales team for emerging food and beverage brands um, like RX Bar and Health Aid Kombucha. Maybe you've heard of those too. And then in 2021, I split off to launch my own consulting business where I leveraged a decade and a half of corporate sales experience to help nonprofit fundraising teams win bigger donations. So that's what I do now. And the reason I wanted to do that was because I have felt for over 10 years now that my calling was to fight human trafficking. For whatever reason, that's just what I felt drawn to. So that's what I do. And then of course, through this podcast, We teach the masses how to get more of the things that they want in life. Everyday things like raises, deals, dates, donations. So whether you're in sales, fundraising, recruiting, whatever, this is the place to come if you want to learn how to become a more effective communicator. We typically go through just one principle or method at a time on persuasion. Some Sometimes we'll borrow things from the world of uh, psychology or neuroscience or just sales experience, my own sales experience, or from others. Every now and then we'll interview somebody on the show. And I try to do it in one take just because that's fun. And uh, might be more fun for It's either more fun for you guys because it's raw and I'm not cutting it up to make it sound perfect or you really hate it because it's just annoying. I'm not sure, but it is what it is. All right, so I mentioned that I will borrow things from the world of psychology. Today is one of those days. I've got an awesome study to share with you guys. I hope it rocks your world. It rocked mine. And then we're going to talk about how it's applicable to both life, very much so in life right now, with everything that's going on. And then, of course, sales, fundraising, persuasion, etc. All right, so today's study comes from one that was done at the University of Stanford in 2003. Participants were asked to vote on a new potential welfare policy. So I'm gonna just read the policy to you. And then just for fun, I want you to vote on it yourself. Think about whether or not you would vote for it or against it, and then we'll get into all the results. All right, so here's the potential welfare policy that was part of this study from Stanford in 2003. All right, under this policy, families would receive 800 bucks a month uh, if they had one kid and an additional $200 a month for each additional kid. So they would get that stipend per month. They'd also get full medical insurance, a job training program, 2,000 bucks a month in food stamps, extra subsidies for housing and daycare, two years of paid tuition at a community college, and all of this would last for eight years only, but the program would guarantee a job once those benefits end. All right. So 800 bucks a month, 200 extra per kid, 
full medical coverage, all the stuff, two grand a month in food stamps, extra subsidies if necessary for housing, two years of paid tuition at a community college, and then a job at the end of it. Think about this. Would you vote for this policy or would you vote against this policy? Okay. You probably, I mean, some of you might need more time to think about it. Some of you knew instantly whether or not you would vote for this or not. Um, now I want you to think about or guess which party, political party, favored it and which hated it. Which would you guess? You probably guess that immediately. All right. So most of us would probably guess that this policy would be favored by liberals, hated by conservatives. And that was part of this study too. So in the first round, they asked individuals to vote and then they asked individuals, hey, who do you think would hate this and who do you think would vote for it politically? And then in the second round, they just uh, identified conservatives first. They wanted to just test something out with conservatives. So when this new potential policy was given to conservatives, they were told at the end, before they were asked to vote on it, they just read through it. And then they were told that Republicans were tending to vote for it. And they were also told that 95% of House Republicans felt that it was, quote, it was sufficient coverage without undermining a basic work ethic and sense of personal responsibility, end quote. So once they were told that, conservatives who originally voted against it, now conservatives were voting for the policy, left and right. Again, so first group, almost all conservatives vote against this, against this policy. Second group, just when they're about to vote against it, they're told that Republicans are tending to vote for it. 95% of House Republicans felt that it was sufficient and totally fine. And then those conservatives voted for it. So then, of course, they wanted to see how the liberals would respond. So in the third group of participant, they identified and selected only the liberals for this one. And uh, when they were given the policy initially, they all voted for it, of course. But uh, for this third group, they read the policy. And before they voted, they were told that Republicans favored this policy. And hearing that Republicans favored it, liberals started voting against it. Again, the, the first group, all the liberals were voting for it. And now all it took was hearing that conservatives were voting for it and liberals began voting against it. And then they wanted to tweak it one more time for fun with another group of liberals, liberals, and they offered two versions of the policy. The generous one, originally, and a more stringent policy. And they were told, th this group was told that the liberals, at the end, favored the more stringent policy. And that was the one they started to vote for. So that confused me. Let me <laughs> make sure you're not confused. That last group, all these liberals would have voted for the very generous policy. But when they were told that other liberals, people like them, were voting for the more stringent policy, more liberals voted for the more stringent policy just to be in line with their party. All right. So that was the end of the round of testing. And then at the, at the very end of, with each group, the participants were all asked what led them to make the decision that they did. Can you guess what they said? Almost every single participant said that their political party had nothing to do with it and that their choice was based solely on their own principles, values, and philosophies. 
But obviously, they were wrong. And they didn't even know that they were wrong. If you guys have been listening to the show for a while, you might remember an episode that I put out um, a couple months back. There was a similar study done with laughter, using laugh tracks. And they were told that the people in the laugh tracks were people like them or people not like them. And that subconsciously affected people's decision to laugh, which you think would be a subconscious, almost instant or autonomous thing response, right? So subconsciously, we were influenced to laugh or not laugh based off of who we thought was laughing on the laugh track. But this study just proves how deeply the influence is wired, that it's not just these subconscious decisions, but conscious decisions that require a lot of thought. Thought that we would assume we are relying solely on our values and principles for when in fact we're not. We are still relying on what others are doing. Sorry, this was... uh, my phone was on silent, but I, I set it to just allow my wife to text me because this today is our due date for baby number two. Um, baby not coming, not yet. So, anyways, we're all good. Forgive me for the for the ding. We're still gonna go one one uh, one uh, one take one take one take. All right. So here's the application to our world, right? Sales, fundraising, marketing, persuasion, whatever the case may be. Let's use sales because I'm going to share a personal example that has to do with sales. There is a chance that a prospect could truly love what it is we're offering. It either helps them achieve a goal or it helps them fulfill a need or whatever. There could be a chance that they truly love what it is that we're offering, but their decision to commit could be influenced by who else is committing. But a lot of us are familiar with the term keeping up with the Joneses. I've talked about social proof before in this podcast. If you've been in this world for a while, you might be familiar with social proof, right? Like, hey, here's a bandwagon. You got to jump on the bandwagon. Everybody's doing it. You got to do it, right? And we have, we've talked about identifying the right people to align your audience with to make sure that the Joneses are the right people. But what we haven't talked about before are what if they hate the Joneses? What if a certain people group isn't in line with the people group we're now trying to influence, will that negatively impact their decision? And would they have said yes beforehand until we mentioned that people group that they weren't interested? Would they be negatively influenced? So what we need to start doing when preparing for a meeting, right? Sales, fundraising, recruiting, whatever, maybe asking someone out on a date with you. Um, you need to ask yourself this question. Will any of my examples of previous customers negatively influence this new potential customer? One more time. Will any of my examples of previous customers negatively influence this new potential customer? So naturally, we want to provide credibility, right? Like, hey, this person signed up, this person signed up, this person donated, this person's moving forward. People from your school tend to come work at this company, whatever the case may be. But through this um, study, this psychology study from Stanford, we now know that we need to be considering negative forms of influence. Will any of the people that I would list typically, or what that I would have listed for that bandwagon, will any of them negatively impact my prospect's decision to commit, to move forward, or to say yes? And here is a great example. Uh, I, I got a lot of this from a book I'm reading called uh, Invisible Influence by Jonah Berger, by the way. So Jonah also talks about this this other example. I'm not a Jersey Shore. I've never seen it. 
Uh, so if you like the Jersey Shore, then this will resonate with you. Hopefully, if you hate the Jersey Shore, this doesn't negatively impact your decision to listen to the rest of this episode. But I've never uh, never watched it, and I thought this was crazy. So in the book, Jonah talks about how this guy named The Situation, uh, you've probably heard that name even if you don't watch the show. He was actually, so like, we're, this is influencer era, right? People are paid to wear products, represent products, yada, yada, yada. The Situation was paid to not wear Abercrombie and Fitch, which by the way, like, again, not knowing much about Jersey Shore, I totally would have thought Abercrombie and Fitch would be like right up their alley. There'd be like a match made in heaven. I don't know. Uh, But apparently not. And Abercrombie and Fitch was really worried that people who liked the situation or people like the situation would start to buy their brand and that would tarnish the brand and negatively influence the decision of the people who they wanted to attract to buy the brand. So they actually paid the situation to not wear Abercrombie. And oddly enough, on the same show, these people must be terrible. I don't know, but Snooki was sent a free Gucci purse. She received this at her house in the mail, a Gucci purse worth $900. But it wasn't from Gucci. It actually came from a competitor, which wasn't mentioned in the book. And I'm not sure if Snooki knew this originally, but she was given a free $900 Gucci purse by a competitor of Gucci, Louis Vuitton maybe, just so she would wear that and not one of their brands because they didn't want her tarnishing their brand, not just necessarily tarnishing the brand, but negatively influencing the customers they do want. That's kind of the main focus there. All right, so we're familiar with this idea of keeping up with the Joneses. With the psychological study, we need to be thinking of like, who who are the right Joneses? And who are the Joneses that we need to avoid when talking about social proof with our prospects and trying to get people to say yes. So just a small little example um, from me with Basemakers is, you know, again, part of my job was building out a script, systems, processes for our team to be able to sell in these stores. And uh, what we did was we represent multiple brands in grocery stores nationwide. So instead of one of those brands that I mentioned earlier, like RX Bar, for example, or Health Aid Kombucha, those guys now are big enough to afford all their own salespeople in every city. But it's uh, it's a um, more cost-effective means for brands to have a sales presence in every city. Because instead of hiring your own salesperson everywhere around the country, you could use base makers and our reps would go in and rep multiple brands at one time. And so the role would be to go into these stores and try to expand the, the visibility or presence of a brand within the store. That means many things. Maybe getting a big display up front you know, moving a product uh, like a beverage that's lukewarm on the shelf into the cooler, or maybe it means moving something to eye level. So originally when writing these scripts and doing this myself for the first couple of years to figure it out, I would use social proof and I would use keeping up with the Joneses, things that I had picked up in the world of door-to-door sales. But, um, and, and it, this definitely plays into door-to-door sales, but less so because when you're in a neighborhood and a lot of these neighbors tend to congregate together and like each other and they mention each other, it was a lot easier to use social proof and not accidentally mention a neighbor that they disliked because I was mostly going off of referrals. Hopefully you're you're sticking with me here. Okay. So I would go into these grocery stores and I would use this bandwagon approach, keeping up with the Joneses. And I would say, I would try to pitch them on bringing in, you know, a hundred cases and stacking it in the front to make a big, beautiful display. And I was doing what I was trained to do. 
at what I had been trained to do and saying other stores in your area have been doing this and they've seen an increase in the movement of the product. You know, it's starting to sell really, really well. And we were, we were having everybody in the company at the time say that same line. Other stores in your, in your area are doing this and we're starting to see the product take off. But it wasn't until we made a shift, essentially learning about this principle, that we started to see a huge spike in the wins. Because, for example, like when I went into a Whole Foods, and this was when I was getting uh, acquainted with this industry and how things work. But if I went into a Whole Foods and said other stores in your area are doing this, it could be semi-interested. But if they found out that maybe a Safeway or a Kroger was doing it, at that point, they would become disinterested, right? Because they're trying to separate themselves and keep the customers different. So it wasn't until I switched from saying other stores in your area are trying it to other Whole Foods in this city have been trying it and it's been doing really, really well that we started to see those spikes in the sales. And from that point on, we changed the script and started to experience huge wins nationwide by saying other Whole Foods are doing this. Or if we're in a Safeway and we're trying to say, sell something to a Safeway, we would say other Safeways have been doing this and they've been seeing a huge spike in the movement. It wasn't enough to just say other stores because of that negative potential influence associated with the customers that go to those stores. So anyways, uh, just a fun little activity for anybody that is, you've got a meeting coming up or a visit coming up with a potential donor, potential customer, whatever it is. And you've, you've thought through this social proof aspect and you're thinking about people to mention in terms of keeping up with the Joneses, like, Hey, so-and-so did it. And -and so-and-so did it. The whole point of this episode is for you to consider are there possible people or audiences that I could mention that would negatively influence my prospect and lead them to say no when they otherwise would have said yes? That's the question for you today to consider. Also, one last thing, side note for life, an application for life. Because we're talking about political parties here, this just got me thinking about all the stuff we're being hit with left and right these days. So many crazy issues that we're seeing on TV. Everybody's pushing their agenda. Sometimes it feels like this country's falling apart. Whether or not that's, you know, real, I, I, don't, I don't think it fully is falling apart, but it, it seems that way if you're just sitting around watching TV all day. But the point is there will be times where we're going to have conversations with other individuals, a lot of times people that we love, and relationships can be severely damaged if you're just going with the flow and you know saying that you subscribe to certain ideals when maybe you really wouldn't, but you felt influenced and maybe didn't even realize you were influenced by a, per, a particular political party. So how do you get around that? This is what I wanted to share with everybody, especially when it comes time to vote on something, right? And you want to avoid being negatively influenced without you even knowing it by your political party. I would just, if you guys are willing to take my recommendation, this is what I would recommend to avoid being negatively influenced is write down ahead of time what your principles and values are for, and what your principles and values are for yourself. And this goes so much further than just this one example. Like we should have these things written down. Brands take time to create their list of values and their list of principles. And then they well, they should be making decisions according to those principles down the road. That's how the decision-making systems and processes should work. But a lot of us fail to do that on the individual level. 
we make decisions on the fly. We treat we treat each new decision as though it's a brand new opportunity. When a lot of times the decisions that we make could simply be checked against a list of values or principles that we have. And that would help us to make the decision rather than struggle through what to do and potentially be influenced by an outside source. If we had our own principles and values written down and knew exactly what they were, then it would make our decision-making process a lot easier. And this is not about all of us coming together and making the same decision, you know, and unifying as a country, because that's just probably not going to happen. But at least you're making a decision based off what you truly believe and you're not being influenced by an outside party. That's what I want to get to. So anyways, food for thought, write those things down. Could be helpful. (laughs) All right, that's it. Short and sweet for today. I hope this was helpful for you guys. Uh, One thing that I wanted to bring up, I've been so focused on my nonprofit, which is the Charity Endurance Team, and my um, fundraising consulting that I haven't really thought much about this on the sales world, but I have, and pleasantly so, I've had people reach out um, that coach or manage sales teams wanting me to train their team, their listeners of this podcast. And that's awesome. I love meeting new listeners and I'm totally open to that. And I have done that for other listeners in the past. I just haven't brought that up on this podcast in forever because it hasn't even been on the radar. Um, But I am available for that depending on the situation. Just feel free to send me an email, jake at jakesavage.co if you're interested in having me train your team or work with your team. All right, that nonprofit I mentioned, uh, I started a nonprofit to basically operating as a operate as a fundraising vessel for anti-sex trafficking groups, and it is a charity endurance team. So we've partnered with Ironman, and we get people to to register for and compete in Ironmans and fundraise along the way, and then we take all those funds and we give them to anti-sex trafficking nonprofits. So if you think that you have what it takes to finish an Ironman seventy point three, that's our first race coming up in Oceanside, California. April 1st, 2023, so much time to prepare, so much time to train, so much time to fundraise. If you think you got what it takes and you're willing to, uh, willing to see if you got what it takes, check out teamai.org for more information. You can learn a little bit more about how to get involved. All right, that's it. Don't tell anybody about this podcast. Keep it a secret. See you guys next month. Adios.